uh, taking some weddings. I'll talk about that in a second. But let's go straight into the Word of God. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Romans 1. I'm going to read verses 1 to 6 and then 15 to 16. Romans chapter 1. First book after the book of Acts. So it must be important. Alright, the Apostle Paul says this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. He promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are now called to belong to Jesus Christ. Verse 15, that's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Amen. Uh, well, welcome to church tonight. My name is Tim. Uh, I'm the pastor of the church here with my wife, Victoria. And uh, there's lots going on the next week. Obviously, we've got the big weekend. Next weekend, Saturday, 10 o'clock. Get yourself up to the castle on the Saturday. We've got two sessions. I'm going to be speaking first. Then we've got lunch and games. And then Joel Bell will be doing the second session. And then on Sunday, do not come here next Sunday night, because we will not be here, because we are having one combined service up at the castle, ICMS, uh, the, the big sandstone building on the hill in Manly, uh, at 10 a.m. And Joel Bell will be speaking. And if you can't come to the Saturday, uh, please come to the Sunday. We would just love to gather the church and have everyone together to celebrate 10 years since we uh, planted Manly Life. And our first meeting was in our apartment at the time on Victorian Parade in Manly. And amazingly, this is the old Manly Baptist Church. When it was started over 100 years ago, the very first meeting happened in someone's apartment on Victoria Parade in Manly. So there you go, it was meant to be. So make sure you're reading the weekly news and uh, you'll get an email, particularly if you've registered for the Saturday and the Sunday. You just drive into ICMS, park out the front, and it's sunny up there. You know, there's views of all of Manly, all the way up to Palm Beach, and we've been given that venue for free to celebrate 10 years as a church. Well, Victoria and I are back. We've come back from two amazing weddings. Um, two weeks ago, we took... Uh, Katie and Ollie's wedding out near Orange, uh, New South Wales. It's just so green at the moment. And I don't know if you've seen those canola fields, but you, you know, they're so yellow, it's hard to believe that they're real. Uh, and that was an amazing wedding, wedding. I've known Katie since high school days, and she waited to meet the right guy. Um, and what a blessing that she met Ollie, who's just an amazing Christian guy. And that wedding was fantastic. And then we flew down last weekend down to the Barossa Valley and we took Peter and George's wedding. Um, and we might have done a little bit of wine tasting as well on the side. So we had a great time. So the next wedding is these guys. Dan and Fantastic. And guess where they're taking us for the wedding? Right here at Manly Life. <laughs> <laughs> 
thank God. You know, this is a beautiful venue to get married in, so I couldn't recommend it highly enough. I do like travelling as well. The best I've ever had is there was a couple who have now moved to London. They flew Victoria and I to South Africa to take their weddings. So, you know, just setting the bar, guys. I'm just saying. (laughs) If you're thinking about it, I love the Mauritius, the Seychelles. All right. But you know, there's nowhere I'd rather be than right here with you guys on a Sunday night. Well, Peter and George's wedding, I enjoyed sitting at the reception next to this big, burly um, farmer. He's a broadacre farmer. His name was Peter. And he was just an amazing guy. He had arms like baseball, uh, hands like baseball mitts. He was a fascinating guy. And uh, if you don't know the story of the Barossa Valley, it was settled by German Lutherans who were fleeing persecution in the 1850s. And they settled that whole region, and then they were like, good Germans, we need to plant some wine. And so, well, that's how we have the Barossa Valley. But this guy Peter was amazing, he had a Christian faith, but he also had some big, big questions. Um, And I just really liked sitting next to this guy. He's in his 70s, he was fascinating, he spent his life campaigning for mental health issues in rural communities. And at one stage, he just turned to me uh, very seriously and he said, Tim, why are you a pastor? And I thought that was a good question. Uh, I thought, I need to give you a good answer. So I thought for a second, and eventually I said two things. Firstly, the reason I'm a pastor is I became a Christian because I was compelled by Jesus. I'd never met anyone like him. And I, I came to a place where I put my faith in him and believed that he was the Son of God. And I wanted to make him the Lord of my life. And I, and I went into some reasons about why I thought Jesus was um, the Saviour. And then secondly, I said I became a pastor because I just love the local church. Um, you know, I was the guy who, you know, when, I, when I, I stopped going to church, when I came back, I just went to everything. You know, I'd be at church. I'd be at a youth group. I'd be at the midweek training thing. And I think if you hang around church long enough, they eventually give you a job. So... <laughs> But I love the local church. Um, this is the place I said to him where you can um, experience genuine love and learn, however falteringly, to love other people well. Um, church gets lots wrong, I said, we had a little chat about that. But when the church is aligned with what Jesus is about and what the kingdom of God is about, it is the greatest force for good in the world and is an unstoppable movement that brings all nations and all genders and all socio-classes around the one table. That's the table. We gather around the blood and the body of Christ. And it's an amazing um, community to be a part of. Well, I wonder how would you answer that question? Not maybe why are you a pastor, but but why are you a Christian? Why are you a Christian? Um, There's other options. You could be a nun or a dun. The nuns, those, not literally the nuns. um, The nuns are just those increasingly in our society who have no religion. Um, The duns are those who, you know, have Christian beliefs, but are just fed up with the church and the institution. And, you know, you can see... The church has not always got things right. So you can see why some people have wandered off. But, but I would say, find a good local healthy church. Because if you're out of the church, it's not long off until you're out of the faith. Or you could be spiritual but not religious. 
A um, bit of a pick and mix when it comes to faith. You know, a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of Buddha, a little bit of Ben putting the best up. You know, <laughs> putting it all together into some kind of spirituality. But no label able to contain you. Why are you a Christian? Well, Paul says this, Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation. Jesus, if Jesus has become bad news to you, you're doing it wrong, right? Verse 1, he talks about Jesus being the fulfillment of the Old Testament's prophets' promises about one who would come. I was reading one scholar uh, this week who said that, um, by his account, over... 300 Old Testament prophecies about Jesus are fulfilled in the Gospels. You know, it's like a virgin will come and conceive the son, and he'll be called Emmanuel, and you know, Isaiah 53, he will be cursed and die on a tree, and he'll be disfigured, and you know, there's a prophecy about even that he'll ride a donkey into Jerusalem. It's all these things that is promised about this Messiah that will come, and Jesus, one after one, fulfills them. Now, importantly for the Jewish people, he talks about verse 3, Jesus being a descendant of David. Now, why is that important? Well, that again has to do with this promise of David's line of kings lasting forever. Have you ever wondered why Matthew and Luke's gospel starts with the genealogies, other than being a tremendously interesting read? Um, it's because they're trying to link Jesus and his lineage all the way back to David. And so the promise that a king on David's throne would rule forever, and then here comes this Jesus who is in the line of David. That's why they're there. So it says this Jesus was holy. You know, I think that's so important. This again sets Jesus apart as someone to believe in. No one has ever lived like him. That's why when we read the Gospels, we're so drawn to him and compelled by him into faith. You know, all of the great leaders of the last hundred years that I can think of, that we put up as the absolute greatest of leaders. You know, Mandela, Winston Churchill, even sadly, Martin Luther King Jr. All committed adultery. You know, the greatest leaders of our generations are still very flawed and humbled individuals. But Jesus Christ, it says, has the spirit of holiness. There has never, ever been anyone who lived like him. And then finally, verse 4, it says that Jesus was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. And that's the ultimate vindication of his lordship. Death could not hold him down. Again, we don't follow a dead saviour or a dead Messiah. We know that he is Lord and worthy of us to call him Lord because he's the only one who has ever defeated death and has risen from the grave. Now, the time of writing this letter to the church in Rome, the explosive power of the gospel was moving through the world. And you can read about it in the book of Acts, but there's lots of stuff that obviously isn't included in the book of Acts too. And the way that the gospel got spread is it just went along the trade routes of the Roman Empire. Um, within a generation, it was in the heart of even Caesar's own household. Isn't that amazing? There were people in Caesar's household in Rome who had become believers within one generation. The early Christians didn't have churches or schools or political power. Uh, I once read the gospel was gossiped through the empire. Is that good? 
Like, like people heard about it, got on board, and then they just told their neighbour. And then, and then they gossiped it to the next person. Have you heard about this guy who, who, was, who was crucified with the common criminals, but he's now risen from the grave, and, and there's miracles occurring, and people are receiving forgiveness, and you get the idea. So in marketplaces, in villages, in towns, as people travelled, the gospel just spread. So the Apostle Paul sends the first Christians in Rome this amazing letter. And it's his calling card before he hopes to visit. And then how cool is this? We know that he wanted to visit Rome because from Rome he desired to launch mission into Spain. Isn't that so cool? Like that's how quickly all this occurred. So in other places, to the question of why be a Christian, Paul would just share his testimony. So sometimes he used like interesting theology and apologetics. Other times he'd just talk about what had happened to him. 1 Timothy 1, 13 to 14, he says, I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, but I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And then the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And you know that story, right? Because the Apostle Paul, if you're reading the book of Acts, he was there at the stoning of the very first Christian martyr, Stephen. Uh, He was going by his Jewish name, Saul, at the time. And it says Saul was there nodding approval as they stoned Stephen to death. And then he was sent out by um, the synagogue in Jerusalem to find out what was going on with the the gospel spreading so that he could further persecute his first Christians. And then he encounters the risen Jesus on the roads of Damascus. Isn't that cool? So that's his testimony. I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man, but now I've got mercy and the grace of God and faith and love that are in Christ Jesus was poured out upon me. So I want us as a church, you know, we've done 10 years. Uh, I want us to have the same confidence and clarity in proclaiming the good news of Jesus in our lives. You know, I want you in your workplaces or in your schools or universities or in your family home, I want you guys to gossip the gospel with some clarity and some confidence, right? You don't have to know everything, but you should know something that you can share that will be the good news for that person. And you've probably got a testimony of who you are as a Christian too. You might not be like Paul, who was a a persecutor. Maybe you were. I don't know. But whatever your story is, just start telling it. Now, just as this message of Jesus transformed lives and communities and eventually affected the entire empire... You know, don't we believe that in our Western culture, it's pretty bankrupt, let's face it, that the gospel can once again do its thing? Martin Luther, the, the great German reformer. There you go. Everything's about German Lutherans today, the church. <laughs> Martin Luther once proclaimed the gospel is like a caged lion. He said the gospel doesn't need to be defended, it just needs to get released. Isn't that good? The gospel just needs to be released to do its thing. You know, like, like because Christian, in, my, in my lifetime, I've seen the church go from being quite a favoured faith to getting increasingly mocked and marginalised. We're not persecuted. 
Don't get a persecution conference. We're not being persecuted. But we are getting a bit more mocked and marginalised. But, you know, we don't need to get defensive. We just need to see the gospel get released back into our society. So we've got to proclaim it. We've got to live it out. So where's your confidence at today? And I wonder, do you have those moments where you, you do cage the gospel? You know, you have the opportunity to share something, but you just pull back. You don't release it because you're afraid of what other people will think. So now, what is this gospel? How would you explain it to those who ask you? Uh, what's your testimony of the love of God at work in your life? Um, you know, we're living in a world that increasingly doesn't know the Christian message. Um, people only know Jesus as a swear word. Uh, I read somewhere that, that people today think the seventh commandment is thou shall not admit adultery. <laughs> Close, but not quite right. <laughs> right? Someone asked John Stott, the famous British evangelical Anglican, if you had to reduce the gospel to its most basic truth, what is it? And you know what he replied? John Stott said, I don't want a minimalist gospel. I want the full thing. <laughs> I love that. So what would you say if someone asked you what the gospel is? You know, one of these I like to often do is, you know, if it's, if it's the right setting, just share a gospel story. If you have some of those up your sleeve, maybe it's the story of the, the prodigal son. Or maybe it's a woman caught in adultery and you can talk about grace and truth. Yeah, someone says to you, you know, what do you believe? And I, I can, you can say, well, well, Jesus told this story about why he came. And he said, it's like a, a son who squanders his inheritance. And then he gets in his rock bottom and he returns to his father. And he expects to maybe be cast away or have to work like a servant the rest of his life. But instead, Jesus says the father runs and embraces his son and welcomes him into the home and they celebrate. And he says, this son of mine who is dead is now alive, who was lost is now found. And Jesus says, if you want to know what God is like, <clears throat> that's the story. So have some stories up your sleeve that maybe you can share. So you've got to talk about then, you know, what's the difference it's made in my life? You know, is your life better because of the gospel? It should be. Jesus said he came to give you life and life to the full. So that's the gospel. N.T. Wright puts it this way. The good news of how God did the things he promised to do. I like that. A shocking and startling thing that was promised in the Old Testament. That God would act decisively in history. That he would send a saviour. And that all nations would be drawn to this saviour. And become part of the people of God. And then Jesus comes onto the scene and he announces the kingdom of heaven has arrived. And then he goes about healing the sick, casting out evil and proclaiming the good news of the forgiveness of sins. It leads him to a cross. He lays down his life so that the gap between you and I could be reconciled and that we might be forgiven. Doesn't end there because improving he has the authority as Lord over sin and death and evil. He then rises from the dead. Right? And you can now become the children of God. You know, if you turn and trust in this Jesus, you can become a part of his family. So just share that. Is that easy? You know? Just have something to say. Some good news to share with the people around you. And that's a cool thing because when you believe, you then get invited into the story. The God who made the world has now rescued the world. And Jesus says, if you're hungry... 
Come to me and I'll feed you. He says, you know, if you're in the darkness, come to me and I'll be the light of the world. If you're thirsty, come and receive. If you believe, you will receive. And the response has always been the same. Jesus just says, repent. Right? You're living your life going in one direction. And Jesus just says, no, have a change of mind. Repent about the way you're living and now begin to follow me. And see what I can do with the broken pieces of your life. As I put it back together and make you a weapon in the world for good and for light. So that's the gospel that Paul is unashamed to proclaim. And that's the gospel that has and does and will change your life and others. So just to finish today, how do we do it? How do we share? Well, I've said a few things. Um, look, the church is... the church. There's amazing stories going on. Sometimes we get so depressed that, you know, the churches are emptying someone in the West. One of my friends just posted up in Maitland, you know, they did a big gospel tent revival. Something like our parents would have gone to. But, you know, like hundreds of people came to the Lord. You know, isn't that good news? All around the world, the church is growing. It's just here that we're in a little bit of trouble. But that's why we've got to get back on the front foot, right? We've got to get back on the front foot. I love this. It's what Jim Wallace says from Sojourners. He states this. He says, The message of the kingdom became more than an idea. He said a new human society sprang up and looked a lot like the old, the new world order to which the evangelist pointed. Here love was given daily expression. Reconciliation was actually occurring. People were no longer divided into Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female. He said in this community the weak were protected, the stranger welcomed, people were healed and the poor and dispossessed were cared for and found justice. Everything was shared. Joy abounded. Ordinary lives were filled with praise. Something was happening amongst the Christians that no one could deny. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like Manly Life Church. Isn't that awesome? The same thing that happened 2,000 years ago is happening right in this community in our midst. So that's what we commit ourselves to. We renew our gospel confidence. And then we release the cage lion out into the world. Let me close with this. Up at the college, you know, I'm, I'm the chaplain up at the university that we're going to be at next weekend. Please come next weekend. Don't see it as a weekend off. We're celebrating 10 years. Is that right, Lani? We can do this too. Young adults, you can commit to this. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> you can RSVP. <laughs> But you know, I'm the, I'm the chaplain up at the college and, and, and the, the university pays this church for me to be up there a, a, a half a day a week. And uh, you know, I love the swim down in Man. I've been doing it for 10 years now. And I love going down doing the bold and beautiful. I do it a couple of mornings a week. And you see turtles and blue gropers and you swim. And when I get up there, I say to all these like German and Vietnamese and American kids, come and do the swim, it's amazing. You know, like, don't get stuck in your room up at the college playing video games. You're living in Manly. Come and experience how good it is. You know, oh, that we would be evangelists for Jesus in the same way. You know, what was it saying in the Psalms? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste, hey, buddy, this church thing, come give it a go. You know, you'll meet amazing people. 
You'll be reconciled to God. You'll find purpose. You'll find belonging. You'll slowly learn how to forgive and do life well. Come, come. Paul said, I'm obligated to both the Greeks and the non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. in a second. I want to give people an opportunity to respond to what I've spoken about. Um, then we're going to sing. I kind of suggest we just have a we're just going to keep worshiping tonight. So when you're done, just feel free just to head to the back, head out of the courtyard, head out into the world, go preach the gospel on the corso. I don't know, what are you doing tonight? Well, let's pray together. But go when you need to go tonight. Why don't we just come before the Lord? Isn't it good news? Isn't it good news? What a marvellous Saviour we have. I want to offer that invitation to you tonight. Whether it's for the first time or you need to recommit your life to the Lord, let me just encourage you. If you can come to that place where Jesus is your Lord and your Saviour, He will accept you just as you are. If you want to commit yourself to Jesus tonight, let me just encourage you, every eye closed, just put your hand on your heart. Just receive him as your Lord and your Saviour. Turn from the old ways of living and embrace the new life that is found in Christ. receive from you, Lord Jesus. Mercy.